Hey gang, Joe Lynch here. And, um, I don't usually like to call people out on these sort of things. I try to be, we're all in it together. Sign of podcasting, you know, family solidarity, if you will. But I got a bit of a bone to pick with your show, Rants from the Black Lodge. It's obviously, I mean, take two listens. I mean, an algorithm can see this, that it is clearly a ripoff to my superior podcast, The Movie Crypt. I shouldn't say my, our superior podcast with fellow hack director Adam Green. Um, now, however, if second rate is your thing, if you like bar- the bargain basement version, if you're more of a Frank Stallone than a Sil- Sylvester Stallone, then Rants from the Black Lodge is for you. So um, good luck, you know, with uh, you know, your endeavors. I truly appreciate the... Uh, Imitation is the truest form of flattery. That's fine. Um, I hear, if anything, that uh, they'll be covering my film, Mayhem, which is uh, kind of a second-rate game of death meets Fight Club meets Office Space. Okay, look, we all rip off from the best and sometimes the worst. So maybe this is a compliment. Maybe this is something where, you know... We're, we're trying to connect through like-minded interests and filmmaking love. I'm taking you to court. You will hear from my lawyers. And that's it. So enjoy Rants from the Black Lodge. Enjoy their take on my film, Mayhem. Uh, and enjoy not having an original bone in your body. Good job. Jerks. From the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcasting mouthpiece of the Southeast, uncontested heavyweight champion of the airwaves, and your reigning and defending podcast champion of the world, Brandon A. Lane, bringing you another edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. And all I gotta say right off the bat is, damn you, Joe Lynch, how dare you tell 100% the truth about my podcast? So listen, when I approached Joe about doing this intro, he was understandably a little hesitant because he didn't want to come across as mean. Now, I, on the other hand, wanted him to go nuclear on us, and thankfully, after some arm twisting, he kindly obliged. I, in all sincerity, I can't thank Joe enough for participating in this episode. To tell the truth, I I can't put into words how influential he and Adam Green and their podcast, The Movie Crypt, has been not only on myself, just on a personal level, but to the success of this podcast being the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. That being said, in restitution for all his involvement, I need each and every one of you out there in the Rant Army to show your appreciation and follow Joe on Twitter at the Joe Lynch. Joe, I sincerely owe you big time, and this kindness will not be forgotten. Once you followed him, you gotta do the same for us. The Rants from the Black Lodge podcast can be found on social media at Rants Black Lodge. Please subscribe to the podcast on one of the many platforms we're available on, including Spotify, Apple Podcast, and whatever your preferred platform of choice may be. Now that we've got all the hoopla out of the way, let's get down to brass tacks. Tonight, we've got an in-depth retrospective for the Gonzo 2017 Splatterama masterpiece known as Mayhem. But first, here's some messages from our sponsors. (laughs) 
Come on down to Mass by Lance. Premium Friday the 13th custom made hockey mask. Down there in Tennessee by Lance McKinney. Find him on Facebook and Instagram over at Mass by Lance. Go order one now, boy. Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. Hey, assholes! It's me, Bomber the Skeleton, mascot of the Rants for the Black Lodge podcast. Here to sell you some shit you probably can't afford. Are you low on cash? That's not a problem. Sell your children. Sell your blood. Go to the jack-off clinic and give them a sperm sample. We don't care how you get the money as long as you give it to us. Want a t-shirt? Want a sticker or a mug to show that you're a true friend and a member of the Ran Army? Well, guess what? Go to Rant Army Surplus. The link is in the description. And if you don't buy something, then fuck ya! Alright, Rant Army, after a two-month hiatus, we're back. Tonight, we ask the age-old question, what do you get when you mix Bruce Lee's Game of Death with Bruce Willis's Die Hard as we bring you an in-depth retrospective of Joe Lynch's bare-knuckle masterpiece known as Mayhem? But first, we get a bit of business we need to tackle before we get going. Now, as of June 1st, 2021, the Rants in the Black Lodge podcast will be exclusive to ProjectLouder.net. Now, this wasn't an easy decision. We realized going in that we were going to lose subscribers in the short term, but I believe in the long run, this will be the best thing for both us and all of you out there who decide to take this trek with us by resubscribing to our brand new RSS feed. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear how we're going to make it up to all of you out there in the Rant Army. Now, speaking of the Rant Army, I certainly could not tackle such a monumental film like Mayhem. Without the man sitting to my left, it is with great pleasure I present to you the Colonel of Cholesterol, the Bear of the Buffet. He can believe it's not butter, but he'll eat it anyways. My friend and yours, Fat Tony! Hello! I am so glad to be back. This is my time to get out from a house full of synchronized menstruations and come and actually hang out with a man and talk about badass movies. And Joe Lynch's Mayhem is... One of the most badass movies of the last 10 years. Absolutely, and uh, this has been a long time coming. Uh, we've had some uh, obstacles to overcome to get to this point, not only in me just uh, being uh, f- fucking uh, impossible to read the script I wrote, but also you uh, want to give a shout-out to your lovely I girl. do want to give a shout-out to my lovely fiance Sarah. We were supposed to record this last week. She had a medical emergency. She started taking a different medication that spiked her blood pressure up. She was in the hospital. Brandon threatened my life. He said I was no longer his friend because he didn't care. No, I'm just playing. He was totally understanding. 
And once we get that situation back under control, I'll put her back in the hospital with physical violence for interrupting this. Yeah, I mean, but, you it, know, she can't help it right now, but she'll learn a lesson she'll down learn the line. <laughs> no, I love you, Sarah. But no, like, seriously, I've been waiting on this. I'm prepped. I'm ready. I fucking love Joe Lynch. I love this movie. I love the cast. It's fun as shit. All I'm right, ready. well, let's just hit the ground running. Mayhem, Joe Lynch's Mayhem, was released November 10th, 2017. Now, when I was doing my research and I saw this date, it stuck out like a sore thumb, and I couldn't figure out why, so I did a little bit of research on the Googles. And uh, for whatever reason, this day just stuck out to me. Um, but it turns out this day has uh, quite a bit of history. So please humor me for just a moment as we read the headlines of November 10th, 2017. Now, before I read these, do you have no, a clue? No, I don't have a clue. Okay. Roy Moore, a U.S. senator nominee for Alabama, is accused of sexual assault against a 14-year-old. Yeah. Minnesota State Senator Dan Schoen is accused of the sexual harassment of multiple women. Kentucky State Representative Jeff Hoover is pressured to resign after it surfaced that he had settled a sexual harassment claim with a member of his staff. Five women accused Louis C.K. of sexual harassment and misconduct. Writer Cater uh, Gordon accuses Madman creator uh, Matthew Weiner or Weiner, I'm not 100 sure of sexual misconduct. Ridley Scott edits Chris, uh, Chris that, Kevin Spacey out of the film All the Money in the World after Spacey is accused of sexual harassment and assault. This was the day where the Me Too movement like went mainstream in a big way across Good, the board. It's a very positive way. I really. The Louis C.K. thing fucked with me. I always loved him as a comedian, but hearing the stories of women feeling pressured to watch him jerk off. Like, what the fuck is wrong with the person? Roy Moore, who is also, like, a fucking avowed racist, uh, fucking... Like, I've seen makeup. I haven't seen any footage. There's footage that exists, but, like, the Kevin Spacey in makeup... They actually should have cast Christopher Plummer, because I've seen the movie All the Money in the World... Christopher Plummer's fucking amazing. R.I.P., by the way. I loved you. I yeah. loved you in the Pink Panther. You were fucking terrific. Um, no longer with us. And, you know, some of these are 100% confirmed and others are just hearsay. All the same, um, we want there to be an even playing field of, you know, practice what you preach and don't... Listen, we're, we're 90s kids and uh, the philandering days of that time are a little bit passe. And there, there's a good way that you can attract women without being a complete Sleaze bag, and it's, uh, I, I just you know it's not hard. To, if my fat ugly ass has had consensual sex, <laughs> I mean it's not hard. I mean you know if you want to jerk off in front of a willing partner who's down to watch or just willing to accept that because they love you and they know people, that you're king. People ask me all the time to jack off in front of them, and I happily oblige because I'm a weirdo. Well, I mean, you know, that's that's how we bond as friends. You know, sometimes we do back-to-back. -back. As long as there's that arch, it's not cheating on Sarah. But if we were to lean into it, then I'm cheating. But, you know. Yeah, yeah, there, there's definitely rules. But in all sincerity, like, that, that date of November 10th, 
2017, I knew there was a reason I remembered that, and it's because I worked in the media. And even though I was way past my newspaper days, I do remember this day because I still had connections with the newspaper. But all the same, the best thing that <laughs> happened on this day, probably the the glowing thing that happened on this day, was that mayhem was released Hell on the yes. world, and not the sexual misconduct kind of mayhem. Real quickly, though, I do have to annotate my story of Sarah being in the hospital that I didn't, you know, cancel or threaten to postpone so I could play D&D. So I do have to say a real quick, fuck you, fat butt Scott. We still love you. But, we still love you. But, but Kiss is overrated and, you know, <laughs> your taste oh, in movie is in question. Oh, man. I'll, I'll let you two fight that out in the comments. <laughs> um, Mayhem was produced on an estimated budget of $2.5 million and the gross uh, worldwide domestic or otherwise... N.A. I don't have it. Not available. And it's because this movie made all of its money on uh, streaming and on demand. And I don't have those numbers. But by all accounts, which it is available on Shudder right now. Go there and watch it. By all accounts, this movie had to have made money. I can't believe that this would be a situation where this would be a money loser. No, absolutely. Especially, like, what did you say, 2.3 million? 2.5. 2.5 million in, like, 2016, I guess, when they filmed 28, it? Well, yeah. Uh, that's chump change for a movie with, like, name actors. Like, I mean, he's name in TV, but... Uh, Stephen Yun. Stephen Yun uh, and the lady we were talking about before... What's her name? Uh, you're, I'm drunk right now, so I can't really think of it. Uh, Mar- I almost said Margot Robbie, almost, but she's like Samara Weaving. Samara Weaving, <laughs> who does bear a striking resemblance to Margot Robbie. We'll talk. We'll I'm going to take about the that hot one. take. Hot take. She's hotter. Just saying. We'll talk about that a little later. But anyway, on. yo, that there's no way this movie made anything less than that. Listen, normally at this junction, we go over the film's critical scores. And we're going to talk about that later in the episode. Uh, you'll understand when we get to it. That being said, the only review that matters is our review from the Rant Army. Fuck yeah. The Rant Army review. If you got to take a guess, what do you think it is? I don't know, because there's always a couple of contrarians. So I'm going to go 85%. You'd be wrong. 94%. Good. The six per- Okay, a 6% variant of people that don't like it, I understand. You know, they're wrong and, you know, (laughs) intellectually inferior to the other 96 or 94 percent. But I get that. That doesn't make me mad. All right. What do we have on Fat Tony's hit list? 21. Which averages to one kill every 4.19 minutes. I mean, Joe Lynch has never been one to fuck around. This this movie, uh, it has a, a nice setup. But then when it gets going, it is just, it literally lives up to the name of the title, which is a hallmark of a great film to me. Oh, Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre. Is there, is the movie take place in Texas? Yes. yes. Is, is there a chainsaw involved? Yes. yes. Is there a massacre? Yes. yes. Is there mayhem in this movie? Yes. So it's, oh, it's yeah. instantly lives up to its title, which sometimes is a, an unavoidable obstacle. Chopping mall. Nobody gets chopped. <laughs> It's also about robots who who guard a security uh, or, or security detail in a mall. We love you, Jim Wynorski. It's going to happen eventually on this podcast, yes. whether it's a watch along or a retrospective. We have to do Chopping Mall. Um, Steak Dick Eddie's Titty Tally. Listen, this is the one part where this movie falls short. There is only one set in the film, as far as I can tell, 
in all honesty, it's uh, possible there's more somewhere lurking in the chaotic background, but I can only see one pair of bare breasts, one set, uh, during the very beginning of the film. That really nice uh, slow motion, uh, fucked up boardroom scene where everything's going just nuts. However, for our female listeners out there, which I'm assuming is probably a minute... uh, But we love you. We still love you. uh, But for all all those of you out there that want more male nudity in your horror film... There is a 72-year-old man's penis. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, you know, to come out on the day the Me Too movement goes mainstream, you know, it's time for equality. <laughs> yes, we need more male penises in horror films. You know, I, I just want to also not be ageist. I'd like to see some 72-year-old snatching movies. Let's, I, let, let's just, let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's learn to walk before we can run. Let's see some old lady titties before we get down to the, uh, the beaver. No. No, okay, no, fine. Fuck, no, fuck it. Fat Tony says we, only. We, <laughs> we need old gray snatch in a movie ASAP. <laughs> Listen, Get what? on that, Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, what mayhem lacks in breast, it more than makes up for, well, mayhem. And that's um, not to say that it was an easy road to success because that year was absolutely stunning. Stacked with genre films, so let's check it out. 2017's Stiff Competition. Now, Fat Tony, if you'd be so kind to read out what we have for 2017. Hey, I have not seen this list. All right, Stiff Competition. We have Alien Covenant, which unfortunately I've still never seen because I've never finished uh, Prometheus, and I have no problems with Prometheus. I just never have had the time. I like Prometheus way more. Well, than I heard Covenant. you have to watch it to go into Covenant. Annabelle Creation, one of the best prequels ever fucking made. That and Ouija Origin of Evil around that time was a great time for uh, prequels. And I'm not an Annabelle fan, but I will agree. I saw this movie in theaters. I'll agree with you. It's much better than much the better than the original. I'm not saying it's a classic, but it's much better. The Babysitter. Not I'm blanking on that. I probably didn't see uh, it. It's dr- it was directed by Mick G. It stars the uh, heroine of this film. Um, it's surprisingly oh, good. Oh, yeah, we're the one that sacrificed for Satan. Yes. Yeah, that movie's fucking awesome. The sequel's pretty good, too. The Bye-Bye Man, which was a piece of dog shit. Garbage. Garbage. Creep 2. Fucking, like, Mark, that movie really, yeah. I'm a big fan of Mark Duplass. Uh, he's uh, on one of my all-time favorite series, The League, which, yes. is, which is about fantasy football. Vinegar and Strokes. Vinegar <laughs> Strokes. That's where that came from. But uh, Creep... One and Creep 2, and I know we have Creep 3 on the way, are an example of how you do a found footage movie in a compelling way that tells a narrative story better than it would be shot narratively. And it is a rare sequel that I believe in most every way is superior to the original, which I loved. And I, you know, I'm like, there's no way the sequel's going to be any good compared or maybe just, uh, no, I liked it better. Then we have Cult of Chucky, one of the most fun movies in the Chucky series, arguably in the top three best of of the of, of the, the series. whole yeah candy. Yeah. Actually, I take that back. That's cult. I'm thinking of Curse. Curse is like oh, I was actually listening to old podcast the other day. Curse probably the top easily top three movies. Top five. It's a cult. Top cult five. Is, yeah, cult. Top, is top, top five. five. Top five. Flatliners remake, which was dope shit. Elliot Page. I'm all supportive of you, and I've liked you in a whole bunch of shit, 
but fuck that movie. <laughs> Get out. Fucking, you know, great movie, Jordan Peele. Uh, yeah, the the best Rod Serling, uh, and, yes. yeah, the you know that we have of our generation. Happy Death Day, real fun. I love the premise. The sequel is a little bit of a letdown. Loved it. It Chapter One. This is how you do a Stephen King property correctly. Um, I saw this with our good buddy Jason Davis, who is the technical advisor of this podcast and Wrestling Ruin, which is available, you know, on all the podcasts available, and. Um, we both loved this movie more so as a film than a horror film because it's one of those yeah, that's really enjoyable that. uh, across the board. It's just it's too enjoyable to say it's, it's a bad movie. Scary. That's my biggest complaint with the movie because uh, it is my favorite horror book of all it's time. It's the only book to ever legitimately scare me. I will agree with that as well, and I think as an ad ad as an adaptation, it fails. But it's probably as close as you can get in movie form. I still think... I missed the last scene after they defeated it in the sewers. You know, I mean, if you're going to do it, do it right now. It's horrible. It should be a television series a la Stranger Things. Yeah, I get that. Okay. But it was still it's still good. Good. We have Jeepers Creepers 3, which I made a halfway through one day, stopped to do something else and never finished. It's got one great scene, and fuck you, Victor Salvo, you for dirty, being... sick piece of shit. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that part four will not be involving you, and hopefully we can get this series back on yes. on track. Jigsaw, pretty good. Eh. I haven't seen it. I'm not a big Saw it's, fan. It's okay. Leatherface, again, pretty good. Eh. Not a great Texas Chainsaw Master movie, but a decent, decent movie. horror movie in of itself. Darren Aronofsky's mother, way too pretentious, but does have some real fun scenes. Uh, great, great, great. Man's exploitation of Mother Earth and the God. Yeah, it's no. it's it's way too heavy handed, but I I have to say that I enjoy the movie. I like most of Darren Aronofsky's films, but he's he's the he's the poor man's David Lynch in the sense that yeah. like he fills in too many of the gaps. Where I like a little bit of mystery. I like to be able to discuss film, and oh, there's yeah. nothing to discuss with this film. It's very it's very. Blatant. Rings, a movie which only felt like a real movie when uh, I believe Vincent D'Onofrio is on screen. Yeah. Other than that, it sucked. Vincent D'Onofrio has become the hey, we need someone to deliver exposition in our low budget horror hey, film. I get that, and we love Vincent hey, D'Onofrio. You get paid, buddy. Um, Rings is the reason we haven't had a Friday the Thirteenth sequel. Oh, fuck that! I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, because Rings underperformed, <clears throat> and they canceled the Friday the Thirteenth movie, and now there's a lawsuit that is preventing a Friday the Thirteenth <sighs> film from being made. Fucking hell! But the the script is leaked, and if they had gone with the version that they were going to go with, which was sort of like a prequel slash sequel, uh, that probably would have been bad. David Bruckner, please Jesus Christ, save us from this pit of Friday the Thirteenth that we've been in, because that script that you wrote is absolutely terrific. It's the best Friday the 13th script probably since part six. We need this movie to be made. I said it. I, so so I shall it be done. It, but if Brandon says it, I back up. Speaking of getting paid, we also have The Ritual with Anthony Hopkins being possessed. He's great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Not a good movie. Sharknado 5 fucking masterpiece. I'll fight you. <laughs> Veronica. Uh, both over, like, the movie's great, but a lot of hype behind so Netflix watchers can't watch it because it's too scary. It's a decent movie. There is one scene in Veronica that genuinely uh, was good. 
And it's the scene where, uh, you know, shit's starting, uh, starting to like hit the fan. And then there's just a, like, uh, a naked man in the yes. room. I'm like, holy fuck, that was yes. a, that was a striking visual. So there's two ding dongs for you ladies out there in horror films. But other than that, like, I thought it was okay. Um, yeah, it was a little overhyped, but definitely, overhyped. but I liked it. Wish Upon, okay, not a good movie, but a fun movie. I'm sorry. Joey, Lauren Adams, is that her name? Uh, Joey, she's the girl that was in uh, the uh, that really good series they did on Hulu with Patricia Arquette about uh, the the girl who had been made to look like oh, she was. I don't know her name, but she's also in like the first Conjuring. She's done. She's got some horror movies. She, uh, she the star of that movie. She's much better than this film would give yes, her the no, opportunity. She's great. The Kissing Booth on Netflix is her greatest movie. <laughs> I have three teenage stepdaughters. I've seen that. <laughs> and then, see. speaking of girls, Double X. Um, XX. Um, probably the worst movie uh, I've seen in quite a while. Come on, ladies. There, step there, it up. There are great female Absolutely. filmmakers out there, uh, horror genre or otherwise, and this was not representative of the quality that like a Catherine Bigelow is capable of or you know the Soska sisters. This was very stock, low-budget stuff. Now... Based off the list you just read, if you had to take a guess, what do you think is the number one film, horror-wise, of 2017? Annabelle. You're wrong. Oh, Alien. All right. Coming in at number five, we have Jigsaw with $102,952,888. Coming in at number four, we have Happy Death Day with $125,479,266. Coming in at number three, we have Alien Covenant with $240,891,763. I almost left this off. And you also said $241,000. million. $241 million. Yeah. You got me. Uh, but I I almost left uh, this off because Alien is sort of on that line between uh, sci-fi and horror. horror. The second sci-fi action. I get it. This tries to bring it a little more back to the horror genre, so... You know, aster- asterisk, but it's there. Hey, Danny McBride, I don't care. I, I hey, love it. I don't who, care if the movie's bad in the movie. Who I plays a character named Tennessee? And we're from the great state of Tennessee. What, what? Well, the OK state. Let's the OK it. state. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, we have Annabelle Creation with $306,505,884. Number one. Oh, it. it chapter one. It no, chapter one. I'm so stupid. Which to date, I believe, is the highest grossing R-rated film of all time, with seven hundred and one million seven hundred and ninety-six thousand four hundred and forty-four dollars. Um, it absolutely blew everything out of the water. That was a mainstream hit, horror or otherwise. I do want to say I'm pretty drunk. I, I don't know why. Again, there's sometimes I forget I don't count movies as horror movies. So I didn't even think about It Chapter 1, even though just reading it. I'm like, oh, Annabelle, that, that series makes money. Can't wait to see the new Conjuring movie. I, I'm a little less it's not excited. Got, uh, do directing. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, whose name I can't remember. Yeah. The, the, who directed the first Saw movie first and Saw. Dead Silence, um, yeah, Aquaman. The first two Conjuring movies are great. I the, the the new Conjuring film I to me is a little less uh, exciting because it, it was one hundred percent we know it was a hoax. 
Yeah, well, all so, of them. Like, the actual, the, 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 yeah, the but fucking the, people, what's the fuck, the, the, the Ed Lorraine Warren, they popped up in Enfield for like a day to say, hey, you want to make some money, and then left. They were only there for a yeah, day. Yeah, but there, there's better stories to be told there. The, the entire third part of the Conjuring series, it, we know 100% was like orchestrated. And it was just a guy who decided like, oh, I'm crazy and let's do something crazy. I mean, sometimes you got to kill a motherfucker. Okay, well, fair <laughs> enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Listen, the story of Mayhem begins with its writer, Matthias Caruso. And even though he works... Fairly consistent, uh, consistently, this film is predominantly what he's known for in America because he's from Argentina, and Americans are, well, we're just uncultured swines to be, you know, simplistic about True. it. He's done a few features, uh, but to be brunt, his uh, output has been shorts, and let's I don't want to mislead you into thinking that he isn't talented. Uh, quite the contrary. In fact, in 2014, he was the grand prize winner for the Page International Screenwriting Awards. So, winning this award led him into writing his first feature, being the movie we're talking about tonight, Mayhem. Unfortunately, Matthias's script has been called into question because of its similarities to another film released eight months prior known as The Belko Experiment. So I'm going to call bullshit uh, right now. Well, my first question, is Mayhem a ripoff of The Belko Experiment? No. Here is why. The Belco experiment isn't okay. The tone's a little too self-serious. Killer kind of saw trapped in a group. Lord of the Flies kind of shit. That is a stupid fucking pro. Oh, we wanted to see who wins and everything. It's dumb, but, you know, I enjoyed it. Mayhem is about the, the, like, the repression of the office culture, the stuffed up grind 80 hours a week to get. This is what happens when those people are let loose. This is not, there's not, uh, everybody in the whole movie's not just killing the kid. There's some people just fucking and doing cocaine. That being I, me. I think you pretty much summed up how I feel about the Belko experiment. Um, when it came out, and I'm going to single out Fat Fuck Scott, because he, he was a, a huge supporter of this film in being better than Mayhem until our good buddy Joe Bob Briggs had an episode about it and he finally watched Mayhem and and he was like, okay, I agree. Mayhem is the better film. But yeah, there's parallels, but it's one of those things where sometimes there's this uh, phenomenon, whether it be in art or otherwise, where it's called parallel thinking and something was in the air Around Office that time, culture, like the 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 what was capitalism the, being the driving force. The you biggest, the, there was a film called Severance that came out a few years prior to this that kind of deals with some of the issues. The Office is one of the biggest shows of all time. It was just primed to be, you know, kind of boxed in into a horror format. So I like the Belco experience. Or experiment, but uh, mayhem. Mayhem's it, fun as shit. It's so much fun, and I, I think that mayhem will stand the test of time. Why I think the Belco experiment will be a footnote in in the arena of horror. I've seen films. the Belco experiment once when I rented it at Popcorn Video because thank you Greenville for having a popcorn video, any video rental store. I've seen mayhem like five times. To once for myself, once, oh, watch this. This is a great movie. 
and then like wants to show somebody else and then you know to to bone up on it again for this episode among the many parallels the films have in common their most obvious similarity is the that both features an office building being locked down where employees are murdering one another. The sheer fact that both films were shot, edited, and released so soon one after another is proof positive, as what I said before, of parallel thinking rather than a rip-off situation. That being said, which film is better? So we're going to break down uh, our critical ratings, which I alluded to earlier. Um, These are Mayhem critical ratings. IMDb, a 6.4 out of 10. That's honestly, for IMDb, a little higher. It's not as high as I want it, but it's higher than I thought it I would be. rank it. I would rank it higher, but for your normie, average... That sounds about right. ...run-of-the-mill moviegoer, probably about right. Rotten Tomatoes, what do you think it is? Oh, God. I'm 63. You're way off. 84%. Yes. Okay. Fresh. Wait. It's fresh-rated. But is this one of those times where the fucking the viewer, the fans... The audience score is much lower. It's at 65%, but that's still fresh. That's for normies, I guess. But it's... But yeah, no, I'm glad. What do you think our Google users have? Come on, Google. I'm going 85. You're just a hair off. 89%. Hell yeah. I'd like to be in, you know. And Shudder has it at 4.6 out of 5, which is pretty damn high. And I think, to me, that's where I probably... Yes. Most to ha- closely associated because it's not a film that's going to change your life, but as far as a fun movie going experience, 4.6 out of 5 any day, every day. Now, the Belco experience critical ratings, IMDb, what do you think it's got? Five out of five something out of 10. 6.1 out of 10. Mm. So it's, it's just, behind, just behind, just behind Mayhem. What do you think the Rotten Tomato score is? Mmm, 70? No. Fifty-four percent. Well, it, so critics, home. the critics were way harsher on this movie than they were with Mayhem. The audience score, kind of the same, forty percent. Um, so rotten on both ends. So this is a, an instance where the Hollywood idea of a Mayhem style film has been committed so much that they've probably watered down its premise premise so much that it. You know, I don't even think it's a watered down premise. The tone is just bleak, boring, and we've seen it a million times. It's Lord of the Flies. We're actually going to talk a little bit about the tone uh, going forward. Google users had it at 81%, as opposed to the 89% of Mayhem. So, my question to you is why do people like Mayhem more than the Belko experience? It's more fun. It's more fun. It's more kinetically moving. And honestly, there's part of us in our generation, and it's like it's kind of set up like a video game. There's bosses, literal bosses, and like steps you got to go through to get to the bigger bosses. The other one, a Belco experiment, is just bleak, kill or be killed, nihilistic bullshit. And it's like I said, I didn't hate the movie. If I had to rank it out of ten, I'd go six and a half out of ten. It's a little better than just neutral. Uh. But that's one thing that, like, there's a sense of fun. Even, and, like, since the dramatic kill, like, his buddy, when his buddy gets killed down there in the basement, that, that, that hits. And then when he get, they get the fucking satisfaction of the other people. That hits stronger than just kill these people. Oh, I'm going to kill you so I can live kind of bullshit Belko had. Uh, 
Belko Experiment isn't the only film that Mayhem has similarities to. In fact, there are two films specifically that you can see were inspiration. Bruce Lee's Game of Death. Yes. And the action classic Die Hard, which I both mentioned in a little see, introduction. I thought about that either one until I heard your introduction, but hearing you read that, I'm like, I totally agree. In Game of Death, Bruce Lee's character starts at the bottom and works his way through the levels of a building. Fuck you, Drake. Definitely, uh, definitely parallels there. Um, Kicking the shit out of everyone who stands in his way. But there's also a few visual cues and uh, that are direct nods to Game of Death. One of the elements that kicks the story into gear is Derek's coffee cup. Long story short, it ends up in the hands of the Siren, which leads Derek on a mission to retrieve it. And the plot is sort of unfolds uh, because you find out that he's going to be the fall guy for a legal case that has gone that hasn't gone the firm's way. Uh, it's subtle, but that coffee cup is colored to represent Bruce Lee's iconic yellow outfit in Game of Death. There's also an unintended parallel with the outfit worn by the Siren Secretary because she is wearing a, yeah. a you know yellow and black outfit. Now, for those of you who don't know, have never seen Game of Death, um, just watch uh, the wonderful uh, film uh, that our the, the director of our generation, Quentin Tarantino, brought to you Kill Bill. Is it Kill Bill or Kill Bill Volume Kill Bill 2? Kill Bill Volume 1 that has the main. Yeah, but Volume the, 2 is more self-serious. But the, the her outfit, yeah, the, the bride, it is completely ripped off from that film. Oh, yeah. It's an iconic look. So... Intentional and unintentional, they sort of collide where you have the coffee cup and her outfit. Either way, it's a nice little nod and tip of the cap to that film. Um, similarities to Die Hard. Uh, Die Hard, I mean, Bruce Willis is moving through the Nakatomi Plaza, kicking the shit out of terrorists standing in his way. Uh, the comparison here is that it's a lot more broad than Game of Death, but obviously John McTiernan's film was an influence. In fact, filming Joe... During filming, Joe Lynch happened to have dinner with, of all people, John McTiernan, who just who just happened to be in the area while they were filming because he was receiving an award. Now, Joe Joe took this as sort of like a sign of like, okay, our film has been anointed by the gods of like, uh, we have to go forward with, you know, all these things. Um, Even though Mayhem came out in 2017, it's had a uh, resurgence in popularity over the last year because of its reflection on real-world events. In a nutshell, the world went kind of nuts in 2020. Now, I've got to stop. There is one other major parallel between Die Hard and Mayhem. Stephen Young gets fucked up in this movie. Bruce Willis gets fucked up the entire time through Die Hard. I mean, the, the, that's one thing. Yes, it's an action movie set in an office building kicking the shit. But they also, this isn't like a Steven Seagal movie where he gets like a cut above the eyebrow. Bruce Willis got fucked up. And uh, like that well, shit, he the was, glass scene still bothers uh, Bruce him. Willis was the first everyman, everyman action, action hero, hero in the mainstream Charles Bronson was As the always. first was the first everyman in actual action, but Die Hard is an amazing film, and you're absolutely correct. However, let's talk a little bit about 2020 oh and and how this movie kind of became the guilty pleasure of a lot of people because they were trapped at home and didn't have anything to do, and they discovered mayhem, which in a lot of ways is about 
a pandemic, although a more catastrophic pandemic than the pandemic we're living in. Not taking anything away because, you know, people have died, COVID obviously. Is serious, but at least in this fictional pandemic, you can get away with murder. You can kill assholes. I'm not saying murder's good. I don't I don't officially endorse murder. <laughs> but there's also He's, fucking and cocaine in the movie. That's cool too. I'll hammer on this fucking cocaine and fucking because they specifically say, Yeah, don't do anything like cocaine. That'll make everything worse. I, I work in a tourist trap. My day my day job is working at a year round haunted house and I see on a daily basis the best and worst possible combinations of human interactions. You know, it's fun to see yeah. people get scared, but also you see the entitlement and the awfulness of people. And COVID has been an interesting paradox of of the way that different people handle situations and that you know, we took harsh uh, provisions to make sure that our clientele was taken yes. care of and be yeah. and be safe. And and when we were allowed to reopen, but at the same time, you have those people who are like, "Fuck it, COVID ain't real." And I know that's not really a parallel in this movie, but uh, you see the best and worst. You, you do see people. you do see the worst and best, and and mostly the worst. But you get to see the worst. Uh, the best, the worst, the worst, the worst in this movie, yes. uh, and the way that they handle situations. And uh, I would much rather have an escapism moment with mayhem than the reality of everyday Gatlinburg, Tennessee, oh, where God. where people would rather fight my employees than wear a fucking mask to protect oh, themselves. There were multiple TikToks my stepdaughters would show me of just like people during the height of the pandemic, pre-vaccine, uh, everything. It's just asshole to asshole. Don't care. That's probably a super hot spot. Tennessee was one of the highest in the country. Oh, they're the Gatlinburg, at, highest at, in the state. At one point, I mean, this is not an exaggeration. The number one tourist des- destination in the world that was open was Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And I want to I want to <laughs> take a moment here to 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 really give a applause to Brandon for not snapping and bringing a gun to work and just killing asshole tourists. Um, I found justice in other ways. Um, so just saying, he poisoned the water supply. Yeah, we we weren't allowed to use water for the longest time because of COVID. But then, as soon as those restric- restrictions were lifted, uh, if you got fucking soaked, you absolutely one hundred percent deserved it. You piece of shit, dealing justice. All right, well, okay. let's let, let's move, move on. on. Let's get back on track for mayhem. Uh, COVID aside, uh, the fun movie does have a uh, an interesting uh, backdrop of a pandemic. So, Fat Tony, if you'd be so kind to read the synopsis for mayhem. Here we go. Derek Cho, Stephen Yun, is having a really bad day. After being unjustly fired from his job, he discovers that the law firm's building is under quarantine for a mysterious and dangerous vi- virus. Chaos erupts throughout the offices. Victims of the disease been, begin acting out their deadliest impulses. Joining forces with a former client, Samara Weaving, Derek savagely fights tooth and nail, floor by floor, to exact revenge on the executives who did him wrong and to get his fucking copy cut back. That last part was by me, but that's a key plot. <laughs> I mean, really, it, really, it really is the, yeah. the catalyst of the entire film. This film 
is uh, the brain trust of Matthias, who wrote it, but also you have to look through the lens of the person who was looking through the lens, the director, Joe Lynch. Now, Joe Lynch is one of my favorite contemporary filmmakers. Fuck yes. As far as low-budget like horror and sometimes action films, he's he's great. He's absolutely terrific, and if you're not familiar with his work, he did Wrong Turn 2. The best, the only one I legitimately like. I, I think the first two well, the are... The remake bo- was actually good, too. I That's have, a whole different thing. I haven't seen the remake, but the first two Wrong Turn movies are both pretty good. I prefer the second one because it has that Friday the 13th feel to it. And I want to take a detour just real quickly. Um, back when I worked in the media, I, I got backstage passes and I got to meet Henry Rollins. During one yeah. of one of his stand-up, uh, you know, one-man shows at, it was either the Bijou or the Tennessee the Theater. Bijou. It's the Bijou. And um, so I'm, I'm back there with him for a good half an hour. And the only thing that he and I talked about, we didn't talk about music. We didn't talk about politics or religion or anything. It was 100% about Friday the 13th and his decision to do Mayhem because he loves slasher movies. And that's all because of Joe Lynch. So big ups to Joe Lynch and his connections with like the music world because he's done a lot of music videos uh, to kind of bring Henry Rollins into the fold and kind of fulfill a dream of his. So if not for Joe Lynch, uh, I probably would never have had a, a weird conversation with Henry Rollins about Friday the 13th. I do have to mention the one time Henry Rollins is the second nicest rock star I've ever met after uh, Jerry Only from the Misfits. I didn't get to go to a concert of his, but I took a bunch of our friends because my ex cunt face girlfriend was 17 <laughs> And, and yes, I know that's a horrible word, but believe me, it's true. Uh, she's like, well, go ask the presenter. I scared the shit out of him while he was eating. And I almost backed away. He's like, no, man, no, you're fine. Come on, do you want an autograph? He's talking. I mentioned, yeah, I couldn't go because my girlfriend was 17. We we're going to go to a movie, but I would, couldn't let my friends as Matt, little Adam, and Adam Pitts going. And I took them. He's like, well, that's really cool. Blah, blah, blah. He does all this stuff. Talked for like half an hour. The guy, the guy is genuinely nice, and nice. and uh, and I know that like because we're sort of down here. I know I'm pointing, and uh, you can't see this because we're on an audio podcast. But like whatever level of success we have is like so far below him. Yeah. But to be that high profile of and recognizable of an entity to be, but still be so low as far as like interaction with people is just so cool. Um, Henry Rollins gets a big tip of the cap from me, but let's let's get back to um, yes. to to mayhem, uh, and specifically Joe Lynch. Joe Lynch directed the Zom B movie segments in Chillerama, which is sort of like the framing the, device yeah. for that film. Um, I, I love love Chilla- love love, love Chillerama. We could we could probably do an entire. He does a great part in a uh, defecation too, like as an acting <laughs> R- role. Roberto Fagabifi yeah. or something like that, or Fernando Fagabifi is his <laughs> name. Um, he did Knights of Bad Aston with Peter Dinklage, who was in Pixels with Adam Sandler, who was in I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry with Dan Aykroyd, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted. Um, Knights of Bad Aston is one of the misses probably for him. And it's it was such a great idea, but it, it was probably a little marred by inner interference. At least that's the feeling that I get. I haven't talked with Joe specifically about this, but it's a movie that's like just 
just a hair away, a cunt hair away from being like great. Um, he did Everly with Selma Hayek, who was in Once Upon a Time in Mexico with Johnny Depp, who was in Ed Wood with Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. Have you seen Everly? No, I have not. I was about to say that. Um, Everly is basically a canon movie, but, but with but with Selma Hayek oh. in the role of Chuck Norris. Oh my God! I, I genuinely I'm like. I'm so hard. I just busted my <laughs> jeans out. <laughs> it's great. It's genuinely great. And um, they, they filmed that movie in Siberia, and which is where they filmed Mayhem. So if not for Everly, we probably would not have gotten you know, the movie that we're talking about tonight. Uh, pretty recently, Joe directed a Netflix film called Point Break with stars Anthony Mackie and Frank Grillo, who you both may remember and their roles from the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like I need to spell that yeah. out, as uh, the Falcon and Crossbones. But most recently, Joe directed an episode of Creepshow starring the ageless beauty Barbara Crampton, who plays an evil landlord whose building has an evil lurking in the pipes. Now, I won't spoil it for those of you out there who haven't seen this season of Creepshow, but it's been great. I've yes, really, really I enjoyed season two. I loved it. Uh, Joe is also no stranger to being in front of the camera. He has quite a few acting roles for his name. Uh, he acted in the trauma classic Terror Firmer, which is a, yes. a movie about making movies. Really, really great film. 31 episodes of Holliston, which you can now find on Shudder. If you have not seen Holliston, Watch this is a show made by fans for fans of horror cinema and the surrounding it's, sort of It is a periphery. cozy, warm blanket of goodness to just sit and binge. Last, but certainly not least, Joe can be heard with Adam Green on the absolutely amazing Movie Crypt podcast. We've got to talk about the importance of the Movie Crypt to our podcast, Rants from the Black Lodge. Now, I talked about a little bit about this when we did Hatchet and kind of singing the, the praises of Adam Green, who is kind of been... The uh, the angel on my shoulder to keep me continuing on, you know, when, when you have self-doubt. But Joe Lynch is right there. He's the angel on the angel of the shoulder. We're not just going to suck Adam Green's dick. We're definitely going to be sucking Joe oh, Lynch's yeah. dick on this podcast. I got it's fucking two, awesome. I got two cheeks. Let's cram those fuckers, <laughs> Let's cram those fuckers in there. Um, but, but seriously, like, uh, Joe as a filmmaker is an important influence to me because he sort of represents that next generation of like guys that are going to take chances and do things and kind of push the genre forward. But just as a personality, as a human being, both him and Adam green are so influential to the, the structure of this podcast. I mean, the, the rants from the black lodge podcast was born out of wanting to emulate those watch alongs that they would do, you know, once yeah. a month. And, you know, we've grown and we've, you know, kind of taken our own path in doing these film retrospectives. But stay tuned to the end of this episode and we'll talk about how we're going to go back to our roots and really rip off the movie crypt. Do you want to tell real quickly the story of behind the intro to this episode? So and how nice Joe Lynch is. <laughs> Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll bring that up. Um, okay. Joe's credentials to Mayhem, on a technical level, they should be evident. But from my standing, he brings a lot of aspects of the film than 
than sort of like like another director would do. He really makes this movie special because it's him the one. He's the one doing it. Oh yeah. Uh, for one, the tone of the film could have been played straight. Now, would Mayhem have been better minus comedy? No, that's what the that's the major area that the Belko experiment was lacking in. It had a, a, okay, not a setup you hear every day. It had some, and a kind of interesting premise, but it was so self-serious that it kind of took you out of the movie. Like, this is, like, the fun of this movie keeps you locked in. It keeps the frenetic pace going. I love it. I I think the film could work as a more straightforward movie, but it wouldn't be nearly as entertaining. Yeah. And... Uh, the older I get, the more that I sort of appreciate horror comedy because horror has sort of hit a wall with me where there's there's like a 0.1% that's going to be effective. And I can appreciate a horror film that's well-constructed, and, and we make the argument that really that Mayhem isn't a horror film, but it's an oh. exploitation, yeah, you know, so kind of... Yeah, it in with a can. Yeah, it's, it's in that sort of periphery. But to play it more straight would take away a lot of what makes it special. So, and and that comes down to just, you know, the, the sensibilities of Joe Lynch and, you know, Matthias Crusoe. He makes who, what he wants, like the kind of shit he wants to see. Um, how bad do you think this movie could have been if it had been directed by someone else? Oh, God, there's a whole lot of room to make this movie, like, really either too over the top and, like, we're trying to be cool and so forth. And, again, Samara Weaving is actually in Guns Akimbo, which suffers from that syndrome. We're trying to be too cool, like, we're hip and edgy. And it really kind of suffered. I mean, it's not a bad, bad movie. Harry Potter with guns bolted through his hands, an interesting premise. <laughs> but, or it would have been, as we said before, two selves. Joe Lynch knows what he wants to be, he wants to see, and that's what he makes. And his sensibilities line up perfectly with like a good portion of the horror exploitation kind of fan base. I appreciate the little things that Lynch does during the film to show the progression of both the virus and the characters, like sort of state of mind. Uh, In particular, towards the beginning of the film, you see a character of Derek, uh, played by Stephen Yen, who's overjoyed to have this job, and he goes into an elevator, the doors close, and when it reopens, some time has passed, and Derek is tired, and he's still going. The doors close again, and when they reopen, Derek is completely dead behind the eyes. This series of shots uh, keeps revolving until you see Derek's full transformation uh, transformation into sort of a corporate asshole. Like, he's, he's complete drinking the Kool-Aid, oh, yeah. uh, dead behind the eyes, uh, well, worker bee in the Isn't the he the one that found the loophole for the getting of the guy out of the murder charge because of the virus? Yeah. Uh, Yes, sir. And uh, low-budget filmmaking demands that you have to be smart and creative to convey such, you know, information in the shortest amount of time. Uh, So moments like this add both character depth, but also create a more visually interesting film. You could just do an exposition dump. And that's a very utilitarian, low-budget filmmaking way to kind of convey information. But it's so more, so much more 
creative and fulfilling to be able to show this visually. And it's also a time-saving measure. And they do a little bit of both with Steven Yeun's narration over the visual, like, storytelling of the guy who killed and got off from it. Like, they they do a little bit of both. He's smart with his budget. Yeah, but it's a lot different than, like, just having him, like, like, speak to a character and say, well, blah, 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 this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm doing. It's done in a fun, entertaining way. It's not the narration from the original cut of Blade Runner. Uh, (laughs) Another one of my favorite scenes is the beginning montage where the people are fighting and fucking in black and white, especially... Except, well, there's, like, the blood red, you know, sort of, like, kind of breaks up the black and white. It's absolutely stunning. So much that I find myself wishing, in a sense, that the whole movie had been shot that way. Should the whole movie have been shot in black and white? No, because, well, again, this is a matter of personal taste. But when something like that's done, unless you're, like, fucking Schindler's List... And that, you know, have a truly compelling story. It should be done with pop entertainment because then you know it's a gimmick. And Spielberg, we're still waiting on that granny crotch shot. Yeah, we need need them 72-year-old clam jams. But no, like, if if it's a serious dramatic movie, I can excuse black and white. And I don't diss old black and white movies, but if modern filmmakers do it, it always feels gimmicky to me unless it's really necessary this movie is not necessary. I, it would have taken me out of it. I, I don't know. I, I, it would have looked cool for like 30 minutes and I'd be over it. I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of interesting things you could have done with it, like having the eyes colored, the blood colored. I also think I'm, I'm not going to rape you tonight, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, let's... Let's uh... Let's talk about mayhem. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> Totally consensual. You, you need to take a test before we can continue this uh, <laughs> this podcast. Um, because of the low budget, Joe intended to shoot the entire film handheld, but would, he would end up using a type of gimbal called a Ronin. Because of this, Mayhem has sort of a surreal quality because the Ronin allows the camera to have a free-floating quality. It's almost like there is someone just behind the depth of field who is watching all the events unfold. In fact, the first time I watched Mayhem, I got a huge Twin Peaks vibe, specifically the scene where Killer Bob crawls over uh, from the background of the foreground over the couch. As I'm watching, I'm not really able to put my finger on why I was getting this vibe, but there were also times I questioned the film if the film was shot in 3D or not. Um, spoiler, it wasn't, but the mentality, uh, but mentally, uh, the film, the movie sort of drove me a little batty the first time watching it in a, in a good way of sorts. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the way this movie was shot, oh, yeah, is, is sort absolutely. of what I'm trying to say. It, it has a, a, a hyper-reality to it. Uh, Joe Lynch is responsible for a lot of the success of Mayhem, but maybe his best decision in making this film was to cast an unassuming up-and-comer to deliver a little mayhem bit by bit. We have Stephen Yun as Derek Cho. Now, most of you are going to know him as Glenn in 81 episodes of The Walking Dead. I'll wait for you! <laughs> that was okay. Was show, I had given up on the show by that point, but I did watch to see who died, and that was a good TV death. Um, well, we can talk a little bit about the significance of the show, despite it not being very good past point season one, or as uh, good. Okay, you can hate. I, it has gone on too long. Don't get me wrong. It didn't need any spinoffs. But I would give it season four 
is where it really season four is actually where I stopped and they killed Herschel. I'm like, I'm done. And then, you know, and Steven's character, um, Glenn is sort of the heart of the show. And when yeah. they kill him, like that's a great moment. It's but, a great shock moment, but, uh, it's but they, they do it. And well, they sort of bookend the end of one season and the opening with another. And I don't know, uh, to me, especially with main characters kind of dropping in and out. And I don't know, it, it lost a lot of the, the quality that made it great early it. on. And I mean, no, taking nothing away from Derek Cho, uh, or uh, the character of Derek Cho, uh, played by Stephen Yen, uh, wh- whoever he sort of walks into, he, he's a great, actor. He, he brings a lot to the character um, I want to say a lot like, of humanity. Yes, he is the broken corporate shell at the beginning of this movie, but you can really see his acting chops where, like, the virus breaks out. It's like I just kicked this guy's ass, and it ramps up the whole movie to where all his baser but good instincts start breaking through, and like, it's just the power of the performance. It's fucking great. Uh, his his accolades, you know, his, his rundown as as an actor is not just on screen. He's had a lot of uh, voice acting roles as well. Uh, Twenty seven episodes of an animated series called Troll Hunters. That is that's a really good show. Like Guillermo I, del Toro or somebody. Like yeah, I haven't seen it, but everybody that I know that has seen it has said it's, it's absolutely really terrific. Uh, Keith in sixty four episodes of Netflix's Voltron revival. I know. Um, I, I started watching it and. Uh, maybe I'm just old. I'm like, you change things. How dare you? Um, he's currently voicing the character of Mark Grayson on the animated series for Amazon Prime called Invincible. Fucking amazing. It is awesome. I, I can't say enough positively about it. It's based off of a, a fan favorite comic from Image. Um, all these accolades aside, Stephen Yun made history this year. This year as the first Asian American to be nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards for his role as Jacob in Minari. Now, Minari is a movie about a Korean family starting a farm in Arkansas, and uh, he would end up being nominated for... It's, it, it has been nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year, uh, Best Achievement in Directing, Best Original Screenplay, Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures, but would only manage... One win with, and I'm going to butcher this name, Yujun Yun, winning best performance by an actress in a supporting role. So we got to talk about the significance of Stephen Yun getting nominated. Isn't it sad that when I heard that, I was like, "Good for him," but then I was so sad that it's 2021. The Oscars have been, the Academy Awards have been around since like Wings in the 20s, and he's the third. It's like late 20s. He is the first Asian American actor to be nominated. Like that's a depressing realization, but I'm good for him. I haven't seen the movie yet. I want to. I think it's streaming. I I watched it at Central Cinema specifically for this podcast, and it's good. It's really good. The hype is real, and I I can say that I, you know maybe jumping the gun a little bit, uh, but uh, Asian cinema has sort of been a constant in my entire life because of Godzilla movies. Yeah. And you can't really put the entire weight of like the, the Asian economy and like their you know their their quality of film on that and in Jackie Chan movies and so on and so forth. There's a lot of wide and variety uh, films out there if you look for them. 
That being said, American films are generally, or they they have been previously, tailor-made for American audiences because we're the biggest, yeah. uh, you know, movie-going market. market. But now China is, uh, and that's a whole bucket of worms right there where we're going to kowtow to make movies specifically that Chinese are going to like, which I think is ultimately a bad thing, but I'm not necessarily he against... looks like Winnie the Pooh, fuck you. <laughs> I'm not against... I'm not against... Movies that have more Asian actors in them. Yeah, every representation is important. Like, uh, just leading to the buildup of, like, uh, Black Panther and, like, watching videos of what that meant to people and just seeing representation. Well, obviously... And then when you got... um, Oh, fuck. It's coming out. Tafat Tony is squeezing uh, air balls right now. It's Legend of the Ten Rings. Blank, blank, blank. Oh, uh, Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. You know, Asian representation, that's more important. (laughs) But it's really sad. It should be a fucking Iron Fist movie, and I will never back down from that. No. Shang-Chi sucks. They they <laughs> fucking shit on Iron Fist with the Netflix show. Oh, they did. You but can't come back from that. I'm not I'm not saying they that they didn't, but an Iron Fist throw him an, in Iron there Fist, with a, an Iron Fist movie where he's fighting fucking dragons, that's way better than a Shang-Chi movie. That okay, means I don't read the comics, but uh you can have Iron Fist and Luke Cage have their own little God Netflix movie. Damn it, I love Luke Cage. Luke and Cage Iron Fist. is awesome. But anyway, I digress. It's good to see representation. It was sad that it's like 2021 and this is the first time that's happened. Um, Listen, we'll circle back to this in a few minutes. But specifically to Steven, but when you get into Mayhem, uh, we got to address the elephant in the room. Um, he, He being cast is sort of an alien concept to a lot of people because... We don't see Asian Americans in leading roles very often. I mean, they could probably the only the one I can think of consistently is Jackie Chan, and they're always Asian specific. This is a role any actor could have played. Absolutely, yeah. So my question is: Is there a bias against Asian actors, especially in leading roles? Well, yeah, obviously. It's twenty twenty one, and he was the first Asian American actor to be, unless it's like the Joy Luck Club or something specifically about Asians. Their default setting is white. Then you got a little bit more progressive, and sometimes you have a black actor. But like this is a race-neutral character that he did have like the good foresight to do a different casting choice with Stephen Yun. I don't have a compelling argument to make as to why Asian Americans couldn't or shouldn't be leading men. It's just the inherent bias of Hollywood. It's not. It's not like they're specifically. It's not an active bias against. It's a knee-jerk reaction like, this is what we know. Well, obviously, in Asian countries, there are much more Asian actors. But the argument can't entirely be that there aren't talented Asian Americans in our country being America. I think a lot of it comes down to bias and the lack of quality roles. But... Some of those, a lot of the roles end up just being stereotypes. Yeah, if they cast an Asian, it's usually for an Asian-centric role, not just, hey, it's some office word like this movie. They could have cast a white guy. We wouldn't have known the difference. Steven Ewan's awesome, and I'm glad they didn't, but there needs to be more roles with a wider variety of actors considered based on merit, not 
okay, I'm used to white guys. Here's white guy. Well, I mean, and I think it all of it comes down to what what's great about Minari is that it's an Asian family or the Korean, I believe, and they move to America and they become farmers, which is predominantly a yeah. you know a white man thing. And that's what the entire story is about. It's about them sort of being the the outlier of of normal and them falling into well how do we how do we achieve the american dream and that's an interesting story whereas if they had told this entire movie about a regular you know cha chewing farmer white guy it wouldn't have the same quality to it and that's not to say that there wouldn't have been white Americans who would have been great in the role. It's just the story works better because it's a juxtaposition of yeah. what we expect. So I can see it on both sides. There's there's roles that are not applicable. Uh, like I'm, I'm probably going to ruffle some feathers right here, but I'm not in favor of an Asian Superman because Superman has a continuity of being from Kansas for, you know, I don't mind 70. reimagining. And honestly, oh, okay. if they do Michael B. Jordan and Superman, I'm going to go see Okay, it. And, and if that is an Elseworlds story, that works. But if it is the regular... Yeah, if you cotton- make it a series, a continuation of the prior movies... But if you just make it, hey, Superman exists in this universe. I don't care what act. Well, that, that's why you can you can kind of they they've now, comic now, comic books have always been progressive, and they've yes. given then they give you an, an a way to get out of those situations because of like having parallel universes. I'm just saying that the regular Earth One Superman. You have seventy plus years of continuity of him saying. being a white I just, guy. It doesn't ruffle my feathers. Like, don't have a white Black Panther, and I'm good at whatever other casting choice you want to make. I, I'm fine with there being a white <laughs> Black Panther, provided it's not six one six continuity. No, no. <laughs> um, the thing I love about Mayhem is the character of Derek. Uh, is he? He is a stereotype. In the sense that he's a mild mannered, hardworking guy, but he's then he get, but but, but then he gets to go absolutely Schwarzenegger <laughs> yes. levels of violent. Does the stereotype of the meek Asian work for this film because he goes so opposite of it? It, it unconsciously works on a white American audience because it does more contradict what we're expecting. Like in, in any Asian country or anything, it's just oh he's badass. He's an yo us. I think on a subconscious level, it does hit a little bit harder. Like when he's like, I just kicked that dude's ass. Like right when it hits, that's a great fucking scene, it's man. So I great. Died. One of the, one of the great injustices towards humanity is the idea that race feels the need to behave in a certain way because of how society has categorize them. I, I don't think of myself as racist, and I certainly hope I don't give off that vibe. When it comes to anybody, uh, but I can't deny that the meek is a trait that I might associate with an Asian person sight unseen, and and, and that's wrong. It's Steven, just how we were hammered in, yeah. in, our, in our media that we grew up on and stereotypes. Uh, Stephen himself has stated that he's learned sort of lean into the stereotype at times. He had this to say, maybe it's a cultural thing, but being Korean, but my first reflex has always been to exude humility, but it doesn't help you in acting. For acting, humility isn't the best thing. It will weaken your work. Now, Stephen Yen's performance is so good. He's 
easily one of my favorite horror protagonists of the past decade, and I gotta give Joe Lynch a lot of credit for casting Steven because I think we know that if it had been a big studio making this movie, that the casting across the board would have been very different. So we gotta talk about the characters um, being played by someone, and specifically, I wanna frame this because it was the first thing that came to mind. If this had been a studio movie, I can't help but think, but Nicolas Cage would have been yeah would have been this character too kind of snap guy, and I love him. God, he's a national treasure, and I did not mean to make that as a joke until I said it out loud and heard it. <laughs> he legitimately is. I just recently uh, it didn't click until you said it. <laughs> yeah, it clicked as soon as I heard it. But he is like he's great for the every man snapping kind of character. You're right, but he's he's not. I don't think he would have done as good a job as Stephen Young did. Oh, no, I absolutely agree with you. I think that this movie would probably be a step too far ridiculous with... You can't get too and even, far. Even if, even if they had played the movie more serious, it, he would have pushed it a little farther. It would have been a Nick Cage scream go crazy moment. And that's <sighs> what I would have... Yeah. <sighs> It would have just been that. No matter how good he may or may not have been, he's known for that. It, it's like a little gimmick. It's a thing. But yeah, no. Well, I mean, see. like, uh, do, do you think there's anybody who would have been a better... Fat Seth Rogen. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> it would have been an interesting alternative. But no, uh, Stephen, like, a better, um, an actor. Honestly, I can't really think of any... Like, unless... No, that's that's right. too gimmicky. I, I thought Christopher Mintz plot, like, McLovin. <laughs> but that's, again, a gimmick thing. Just that he's... I, no. I think it's great because Stephen Yen... He was, he was well-known, but he's not so well-known that you can't see him play another character. Yeah, he's, he, he was on a big show, but he wasn't the central... Like, the guy who played Rick Grimes, can't remember his name... He's always Andrew Lincoln. Yeah, he's now he's 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 locked in, unless he's the creepy card carrying guy from Love Actually who tries to you know get his friend's wife to cheat. Well, going back to what you're saying about uh, the guy that played McLovin, like unfortunately, he's a lot locked. of what you're going to see is you know oh, you're going to have McLovin stabbing somebody. Yeah, and I don't know that that works. So no. I'm so so glad that they Perfect. they cast Stephen Yen as in the role as somebody who worked in an office for a decade. I can't explain how satisfying some of the carnage is in Mayhem. I gotta think that anybody who works like a nine to five job could probably look at this film as sort of a power fantasy. Um, you can like live vicariously through some of this stuff. Um, the character of Derek, uh, you sort of he becomes the avatar for your your like day to day frustrations, um, and he enacts this corporate revenge. As Stephen had this to say, I think those themes of rage against the machine and fight against the man those are obvious classic themes, and those are something that I feel never lose their welcome. Personally, for me, I didn't want to make Derek into some awesome person. He did still. He did. He still did some shitty things, and he's still a scumbag in some regards, and that's because he's made a lot of concessions in order for him to survive. 
Oh, that's how he justifies it. Uh, to be honest, I wanted to explore anger a lot. I don't know what it was that year. I was just angry. Not at anything specifically, but just maybe anger, uh, universal anger that was going around. And I wanted to excise that in a really ridiculous, fun way. And that he did. Fuck yeah. Stephen Yeun manages to create a, a violent yet incredibly likable character, but this movie is owned by our next topic of discussion, Mayhem's Femme Fatale. We have Samara Weaving as Melanie Cross. Now, M- Samara has starred in television going back to, like, you know, when she was really young. She appeared in 50 episodes of a series called out of the blue, 336 episodes of a series called Home and Away. She was B in 2017's Surprisingly Good, The Babysitter, released the same yes. year as Mayhem, uh, was the lead role in 2019's Ready or Not, Fuck which is yeah. so good. One so of the good. best horror movie endings in a decade. And most recently appeared as Thea in Bill and Ted Face the Music, which I, I, I loved. Liked it. it was, it was nice, so good. It was the movie that 2020 desperately you, needed. We needed hopeful good. optimism. Yes. And as she will soon appear as Scarlet in the Snake Eyes spinoff movie. Now, G.I. Joe is near and dear to my heart. I have a Cobra tattoo on my right arm. G.I. Joe means a lot to me. I don't see this being good. That being said, having some more weaving with red hair will make my fucking testicles explode. That's the one thing that I think she's okay. lacking from being my fantasy I'm girl. I'm not saying that it's going to be a good movie, but I'm saying she will be good in it. And the snake eyed, the snake eyed moments from the second live action G.I. Joe movies were the highlight of that movie. So there's a potential for it to be decent. I'm not going to go past decent. The first one was an abomination. The second one at least killed everybody off and had like three decent cool moments. As a lifelong fan of the comic book, they can do better. (laughs) Um, All those accolades aside, it was her role as Heather in three episodes of the first season of Ash vs. Evil Dead that landed her the role of Melanie in Mayhem. Now, Samara had this to say about taking the role. The biggest appeal for me was having a very strong female role in a horror-slash-comedy. Normally, they're the first to die, or they're screaming the whole time and knowing, you know, not knowing what's going on. Melanie is arguably the toughest one out of all of them, so I was really attracted to that. Uh, however, in doing research for the episode, I came across the revelation that there is a small subsect of internet trolls who, believe it or not, uh, will call out her for her namesake. Now, she pretty much saying that she would not be a star because of who her family connections was. Because of this, it led me to end down the rabbit hole, like, well, who is she related to? And it's kind of dumb uh, because... It's pretty obvious. I didn't realize this until doing this research that Samara is the niece of Hugo Weaving. Yeah. I mean, I think there was some connection. It doesn't matter. She is talented. It's like Nicolas Cage going back to him. Francis Ford Coppola, his uncle, he did change his name to do it on his own, but he was talented. Samara Weaving is fucking amazing. Well, I mean. And hot take, hotter than Margot Robbie. Very similar looking. 
my opinion, my personal taste, hotter. So, a lot of people think that her star is on the rise as a result of nepotism. I, I personally think that she is insanely talented and having connections undoubtedly have had a positive effect i'm not going to knock it because just having the 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 contact information of this or that person is going to cut through so much time more than anything to be able to get you out there but if you reflect on her career She's had a string of great performances that speak for themselves. Uh, Unless you've been living under a rock, Samara has become a legitimate screen queen, like the screen queen of this generation. Um, In the past few years, uh, I I can't think of another one that even rivals her. So uh, let's just talk about it. Like She's the most legitimate screen queen of the past probably 20 years. Yeah, and, and you know, and also her movies also share the, like, okay, even in The Babysitter, where she's a bad guy, she's pretty badass, she's the bitch in charge, uh, ready or not, yeah, it's fucked up, she's scared, but she fucking cleans house when it's time. And she just has, she just has she a... She strikes children in that movie, <laughs> that's all I needed. She just has a quality that uh, that I think that sort of puts her uh, above the rest aside from the fact that she's just had a string of, you know, kind of being in horror films and good on her for not sort of looking down on the genre. Owns the shit. She, like she, I said, Guns Akimbo was one of those were two hit for own good movies. One of the best things in that movie. The only legitimately great thing was her as the fucking badass killer on the little Internet thing. As popular and well-known as she's become, it all comes down to performance. And Samara hits home runs every scene that she is in Mayhem. Uh, some of the credit, like I said before, has to go back to Joe Lynch for creating an environment where uh, he allowed the actors to kind of find their character. Samara had this to say about her performance. What I like about acting was the freedom of when you're on stage and it's not you personally that you're responsible for a performance. You're playing a character. Uh, her performance in, is insane, but gleefully so. I, I heard someone a while back refer to the character of Melanie as a female Patrick Bateman, high on ecstasy, and now I can't see her any differently. <laughs> she leans so hard into the absurdity of the violence, and that kind of... That becomes endearing, uh, oddly enough, because she's so fucking gleeful about it. Um, Samara had this to say about the violence. I love the scene where Derek and I come in and they've chopped off someone's tongue and I'm playing with it. I'm sort of at the peak of the virus at the time, so I'm quite manic. Um, she's so good in the movie. Uh, during those scenes of violence, uh, but that's not the entirety of her performance. Uh, she hits all the dramatic marks in the film as well, so you could make the case that maybe she should be the lead of the movie. Um, so my question, could you have swapped the character positions effectively between her and Steven? Yeah, I'm not saying it would have worked badly with her as the main protagonist, but with, with Steven being the main protagonist, you have the foot in the door of the office to learn the politics, to get the situation set up. She's an outside element with moral high ground. She has a valid... That's why I didn't like the Patrick... Ba- Patrick Bateman was a pure sociopath. She has a reason and then gets the 
the virus to unleash her id to exact justice. Fuck these corporate bastards. It would not, I mean, it could have worked, but not worked as well. Um, as in the character of Derek being the one trying to get a mortgage extension and Melanie being the one out for revenge, um, I, I can't say that that wouldn't work, but... Oh, were you just talking about swapping characters? I thought you were talking about perspectives. Could she have played the Stephen Young character? Well, that's sort of what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, like, I think that would have... She's strong enough. I think it would have been almost as good. But, again, there's that natural inherent bias. You feel more for a woman about to lose her house I, than a man. I, I think that having her in the driver position... Um, because she sort of exudes a confidence, may have. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Young's change is more dramatic. Like, yeah, I get no. Yeah, I thought you were just saying switch the perspective to somebody coming into the company from the outside. I, I, I really don't know. I think both. You could have probably made both work. Yeah, both would have worked, but the way it was done, Joe Lynch did it perfectly. I want to slurp his dick to the balls, <laughs> metaphorically, because he's such a great filmmaker in person. Out of res- out of goddamn respect, respect, a respect I mean, blowjob. If he wants a pinky and a bit stinky, that's you know I'm, I'm down. Okay. Um, <laughs> last thing before we go, and we've touched on this a little bit before, is that she is. Often mistaken for Margot Robbie, who is hot as fuck, but I personally prefer Samara because she's got horror cred, and that goes deeper than looks for me. I'm going to say this. I think she's hotter. She's awesome. I do think Margot Robbie is, would, like, I don't think she could replace Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Margot Robbie owns that movie character now, not the original, you know, cartoon character gone into the stuff. I don't think she could have done a better, but that's it. That's the only way she is any way less than Margot Robbie. I would, you know, crawl through a mile of broken glass to sniff the last guy's dick. It's been here. <laughs> no, I just play. It's horrible. <laughs> but, uh, no, I fucking love her. Well, fair Moving enough. Um, hopefully you don't have to, to crawl through a glass to sniff dick. I'll just ask you real nice. <laughs> You smell it, Brandon. Let's talk about the thing that we're basically here for. The, the may the mayhem in mayhem. Let's talk about our victims. Number one, in a flashback, we see Patient Zero, who is Neville Reed, played by Vladimir Alasek. I'm probably butchering that name. Some dude. Stab his co-worker in the neck repeatedly with a ballpoint pen. What do you give this kill? I'm going to give it like a seven. It's pretty damn good. The reason I give it a 10, I give it a 10 out of 10, is I love the bright red over the wonderful black and white. It's a perfect way to set the tone of the film. Neville Reed was the first person to be found not liable for his actions. Uh, So he's sort of like the linchpin of the moment. So you both get a narrative and a satisfactory kill that sort of like instructs the rest of the film. So 10 out of 10 for me. I get that. But a seven out of ten, I, I'll agree with you. But I, the black and white, and just the, having the black. I'm I not think a pretentious it, dick like you. I, 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 I guess. Playing. I guess not. I, I guess not. <laughs> you know what? The black and white during credits and stuff like that—that's the most effective use. That's why it didn't take me out of the movie. Doing the whole movie would have been a mistake. All right, number two. Derek is locked in the basement of the law firm by Colton Snyder, who is uh, John Towers Muscle, who is known as the Bull. 
Derek gets to he gets the teetotal shit knocked out of him and maced uh, when his buddy Ewan, who is played by Mark Frost, not to be c- confused with Mark Frost, who is the co-creator and writer of Twin Peaks, mind you, Mark Frost, the actor, intervenes. However, this goes horribly awry when the bull headbutts Ewan into an exposed nail on the wall. Ewan stumbles from the wall with a two-by-four still attached to his head, and he mutters his final words, I smell toast before falling to the floor, which makes me laugh every time. It's so horrible. It's a good laugh moment, but you feel. I'm going to give this kill as a kill. It's a 6 out of 10 because the kill itself, the setup, you know, it's not much anything special. But for the overall feel of the movie and that joke, I got to raise it to 7.5 out of 10. I gave it an 8 out of 10. The kill itself isn't anything spectacular. However, the aftermath works in both a comedic way for just a moment, but it also uh, is an emotional catalyst for Derek. So this is is the fuck lock and loaded moment of the movie. Uh, Number three, in an attempt to escape the basement, Derek beats a security guard to death with his bare hands. What do you give this? I give this an 8 out of 10. I fucking loved it. I gave it a 7 out of 10. Uh, The kill's awesome because of how how many times he hits the guy, but the exclamation point comes from Melanie who quips, Christ, man, fuck your girl too? (laughs) Like, (laughs) this is great. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Number four, in an attempt... To get the, his elevator key, uh, Derek has his hand stabbed uh, to a desk with a pair of scissors when Melanie uh, retaliates and takes a buzzsaw and plunges it into the gut of Lester, quote-unquote, the Reaper McGill, who's played by uh, Dallas Roberts, best known as Milton from The Walking Dead, so yep. you got a nice connection there. Um, what do you give this kill? Seven and a half out of ten. I gave it an eight. Samara Weaving's yeah, gleefulness. That's, that's awesome. Her gleefulness to kill, it just makes this scene so memorable because she's just like a step. She's so close to going over the top with it, but she knows exactly the, the level you had to pull it in to make this effective and not ridiculous. Ridiculous in a good way. Yeah. Uh, number five. Derek sends a video to the board of directors that features a dead body in the background. Eh. Yeah, I'm not even... I think that's N.A. 10, 10, I give it a 2 out of 10. Off-screen kill, just added the body count. Number six, in the security feed of the north stairwell, we also see a dead body. I gave that also a 2 out of 10. Uh, We'll just go blanket any random dead body found 2 out of 10. (laughs) Uh, it you know it helps the body count get up, but yeah. it's not it's not benefiting the movie narratively. Uh, number seven, another background dead body can be seen around the time that Melanie says uh, that one of her favorite bands is Motorhead. Oh, this, that goes up. This made my dick so hard I could break steel with it just by blowing on it. Uh, however. <sighs> Derek ruins, ruin, just fucking kills my boner DOA by when he says that he likes the Dave Matthews band. This is a funny, <laughs> funny, a funny exchange. Position. Um, but just let me have my motorhead boner. I want to, I want to give credit to Joe Lynch because he had time because they were f- filming in Siberia and they had, you know, X amount of days to, to film to be able to rehearse some of the key scenes. And this was 100% improvised the day that they practiced. So Joe Lynch took the gist of the story and wrote it into a script. It's like, just repeat this. So 
when they were making this stuff up, it's not that uh, Samara Weaving loves Motorhead. She was writing it from a position of her character. All the same, I will gladly put my dick in your character. I can yeah. I can cross my eyes and pretend. Um, and Stephen Yun, if you actually like Dave Matthews Band, um, that is the nerdiest thing that uh, someone could say, but it works for your character. So yeah, I gave it close. I gave it a three out of ten. Yeah, Motorhead, it's a bump. Motorhead references will always work for me. However, I'm bloodthirsty right now, so I need some actual on screen violence. If I'm going to rank these higher. Number eight and number nine. When Derek and Melanie enter the bullpen of the law firm, you can see two more dead bodies. Um, I gave this a one out of ten because by this point, I'm getting a little pissed yeah, off. we want to see some action. All right. This is when things are starting to pick up. Number ten, number eleven, number twelve, number thirteen, and number fourteen. Five pissed off wage workers confront Derek and Melanie because a bounty has been placed oh, on yeah. their heads. A five-on-two battle ensues between the warring factions, including a brutal hammer blow, a shot from a nail gun, smashings from a fire extinguisher, all to the Faith No More song. Motherfucker, what do you give this? I give this a 10 out of 10 because this is when it's not just random. It's it's that battle, like they're turning them again. They're making... The, uh, the, the upper executives are making them targets. It's a badass little fight scene. It's the first time, like, anybody as a group cohesively works. Like, the people trying to kill them starting to think with any kind of logic. But, you know, it's also fucked up rage logic. I loved it. 10 out of 10. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Um, I, I'm, I'm very, very close. Um, the reason that Faith and War was chosen was uh, that Joe Lynch had done a music video for them previously and he did it for very very low wages um because you know they're yeah, starting yeah, calling so. yeah so and uh, he kind of called this in as a favor he's like listen i can't pay yeah. you very much or really anything but i did you a favor now you scratch my back and thankfully you know credit to mark faith patton. no more i don't know if mark patton is he in the I group currently is he when Motherfucker was written, he was, wasn't he? Yeah, but I don't, I don't know if he was in the video. I don't know if he was in the band at the time. Oh, the video. Because because they've they've had could have been the other guy. Uh, they they've had so many lineup changes. Yeah. But all the same, big all ups to Faith cool. No More. Um, so Mark Weaving had this to say about the scene: the hardest thing to shoot was Stephen Stevens and my showdown with the siren and her minions. It was a lot of blocking and make sure that we kept the stunts believable yet still appropriate but it was so much fun that bit where Derek pauses to put on his favorite fighting song that was brilliant (laughs) I agree I agree that's a very perfectly uh, near perfect sequence of the film number 15 Kara's assistant uh, double crosses her from a promotion uh, for well for the yeah. for the uh, possibility of a promotion and proceeds to stab Kara, aka the Siren, played by Caroline Chikitsky. I'm probably Chikitsky. I'm probably butchering that name to death with a pair of scissors. What'd you give this kill? Seven out of ten. That's exactly what I gave it. Kara is a big time cunt, and her death should have been grand. But aside from the initial stab, the kill is off screen. However, Melanie's reaction during this scene is absolutely fucking yeah. gold. And it's one of those things where they probably made her kill more impactful by pulling away from it. But at the same time, she's she's 
pretty much the primary antagonist, uh, antagonist of the, at least initially when the when the story gets yeah. propelled. So you want to see her get a, dispatched a little more gruesomely. Uh, do you think that it should have been? Um, in a movie like this, I'm always going to say yes. It should have been more grand. It should have been more over the top with her. Because also, the other head bad, his honestly, spoiler alert, I find his death a little underwhelming. It it gets a little more it's of the, the cinematic yes, quality. Yes, but... for the moment. But yeah, no, that with her, she should have been hung upside down like a terrifier and split down the middle <laughs> with a saw. Do you Something think, crazy. Do you think Derek should have been the one... Who killed her? I, I think that would have taken audience sympathy away from him a little bit. A man killing a woman like like that. I don't know why. I just feel that way. I is, think it should have been Margot. I think he's maybe, I don't know. You just called her, you just call, you I just just call call her Margo. Margo. How dare you? Uh, I'll flick the tip of my penis later with <laughs> Melanie, who is played by Samara Melanie Weaving. Samara. Um, yeah, it's funny that you say that because even though this is a movie about people that are murdering each other, there is sort of like a set of rules, I guess, you have to play by to make sure that, like, even though this person is doing, like, really fun things, you can't cross a line with them too much because if you make them antagonistic, then they're as bad as the people they're yeah, killing. Yeah, and you don't want to remove audience sympathy. All right, number 16, in a violent tussle, Colton, the bull Snyder, who is played by Andre Erickson, is stabbed in the head with a screwdriver by Derek. What do you give it? I mean, I give it an 8 out of 10. I like the fight. That's exactly what I gave it. It's so satisfying. The the second this dick was on screen, you want to see him die. So he gets dispatched properly, and because he's yeah. you know he's sort of a he's both uh, shown himself as a murderer and an asshole. Yeah, you want to see him get killed in a dispatching way, whereas like the siren. Uh, AKA Kara is uh, she's, she's a, a bitch. She's a she bitch. Hasn't murdered anybody? Yeah, she she caused him to lose his job, but she has. You haven't seen her like really murder people. Yeah. offhand. Uh, number seventeen, with the help of Ray, quote unquote, the IT guy who is played by our director Joe Lynch, Derek and Melanie are able to hijack the hard drive of Smythe. Uh, who's played by Carrie Fox's computer. Uh, they use this as leverage to obtain her. Key card, uh, having this is sort of the upper hand. Uh, Melanie destroys the hard drive, but but not one to be upstaged. Smythe reveals that even though she gave Derek the the, the code and uh, the card, that she'll need an access code to get to the top floor. So it's just sort of like this. Yeah. It's almost like a Game of Thrones switch around. You know that you you know you need the one triple, double double triple cross exactly. Um, uh, reluctantly, Derek knocks Melanie out and ties her to an office chair. But this is all a ruse to get the code, leaving Melanie, which uh, the means of escape and exact revenge uh, against Smythe are a little vague, and they uh, kill her off screen. However, the whole setup to this with him kissing Melanie and putting yeah. the the bolt of the uh, the chair in her mouth and I thought all that was uh, a nice little like oh fuck but then it, but yeah. it, but you're like okay I get it um, I I really really like that what do you, what do you think about this eight kill? out of ten because it's an off screen kill but I like the setup about it you know ha 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 bitch what? Uh, oh shit I also gave it an eight out of ten even though this kill is off screen it's set up masterfully yes. your brain fills in the blanks perfectly which that's that's really how a horror film 
traditionally, you know, being going back to the thirties, kind of how they make something effective. And we, we hit a point, you know, kind of going into the seventies where you want to see all that stuff. But sometimes, sometimes sometimes the most effective things are the ones you fill in with your brain. So I, I like that this movie sort of does both. Um, it has the more is not enough Stuart Gordon aspect of it, and then the less is more. Yeah, I it, it, it does kind of hit all the bases. There's a little bit of something for everybody here. All right, number 18, Derek's long trek, trek to the main floor culminates with him having not only an offer to be reinstated, but also not one, but two offers for fellatio from a couple of yeah. highfalutin office sluts. In defiance, Derek smashes his champagne glass and stabs uh, one of them in the throat uh, with a handle. Uh, I gave this a 9 out of 10. Yeah. It, it's just... Uh, it's, I gave it an 8, it, yeah. Any, any man that uh, is so vengeful that he can uh, block himself from a free blowjob, like that, that is a just kill like that that you can't yes. go to prison for that if you if, 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 if you, <laughs> you have to have the moral high ground obviously. yeah like uh, the uh, a jury of your peers are like well obviously that guy was motivated for good reason <laughs> do you know how good a blowjob feels it's the male equivalent of the uh, i spit on your grave no jury would convict her. oh exactly <laughs> there you go uh, yeah but i gave it a nine out of ten i would gave it a ten if he had gotten the blowjob first <laughs> All right, number 19, 20, and 21, uh, with one final obstacle to overcome. With a crescent wrench in hand, Derek confronts John, quote-unquote, the Boss Towers, who's played by Stephen Brand, uh, who globs cocaine into his his nose and engages in the battle with a golf club. Um, Properly subdued, uh, Derek as the... uh, the, Oh, by the way, that that nineteen twenty and twenty is the uh, the other sluts he takes care of. I didn't properly write that out, um, but he ejects this dude over the railing, and uh, his flailing body rushes past two other dead bodies. You see them yeah. kind of in the corners, um, but he hits the ground. Uh, you you kind of stated that this wasn't like you're crazy. About okay, it. the thing I liked about I like the fight. I like the countdown because this virus has a very specific countdown of how long, and so his window to get him. I like that they push up to the edge, but I just I'm gonna go because of the cocaine gets the half point by a seven and a half out of ten. I gave it an eight. Um, I uh, the whole point you made about the the counting clock. Um, yeah. having this time frame of basically for like murder to be legal. Yeah. You know, you're gonna it's have, like you're, a purge type situation. Yeah, but it, it, but, but, not it, but, really. it but it also gives an, a sense of urgency in the, in the film, which, uh, at one point, uh, which, uh, carnality sort of comes back into play because you have that wonderful scene where Steven, uh, Yen's character, Derek and, um, Samara Weaving's character, Melanie, they just Fucking, they just I mean, fuck. You got to, you got to knock one out. And um, that's that was great because it it just goes to show you that like even though he's motivated for all this, it's the virus is still. See, that's why the blowjob didn't work because his pipes were clean. So she okay. saved the day you, for him. All right, well, fuck, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna de- deduct points for my kill right there. <laughs> you you made logic. <laughs> Um, although if he were virile, if he were a, a mean, real virile man, he'd be a hundred percent loaded back up. Um, so I'm going to deduct points yeah. for, for that. Um, 
Yeah, uh, it's a fitting end for Towers, but I wish that there had been, like, maybe one more fight scene and it had been a little more fruitful. Or even if he'd hit his bus's head open on the way down. I would have been happy with that. Just like a little... Bam! Smash his face in on kind of one of the ledges or handles on the way down. Something. It was just... I mean, I like the fight. I love the cocaine. The guy doing the cocaine against the doctor's oh, yeah, warning the whole time. He also grabs a, a thing of cocaine and throws it in Stephen Yin's face, I mean, which, like, if you're gonna if you're doing cocaine to hype yourself up, like, wow, does how does that hurt you? Yeah, it gets in his eyes and his nose and it's his going mouth. To hit his system quick. So you're just giving him. That's like uh, finding a one up in Mario Brothers. <laughs> he, he fun- giving it to Bowser. Oh man, uh, the the two bodies you see as he's yeah. dropping down, those are one out of ten. There's no yeah. reason to discuss them. Uh, we also have a couple of small cameos throughout the film, and if you're not looking for them, you'll never notice them. But we have uh, Adam Green yeah. uh, in in one scene, and you have uh, Tiffany Shepis, uh, who I've I've met, and I told the story before how I made her leave her table oh, because yeah. I made a comment that her uh, their titties were out in the picture because I was genuinely like shocked, like oh shit, there's your fucking titties are out in this, and she's like fuck you. She put a pin over her nipples and then walked away from her table. I'm so sorry, Tiffany. Uh, please come on the podcast i will i will behave myself um so let's talk a little bit about trivia there's only a few things to talk about here um the scene where you can see two people having sex in the background supposedly those two people were an actual couple and they were actually fucking they were this was shot in Siberia. I hope that's real. That'd be cool. Uh, oh, according to joe he claims it's it's and i think uh, his word is gospel yeah so um um, it just adds to the, the, the chaos of the moment. And uh, it's, it's funny because it's like, it's, it's very obviously on scene, but it's never really drawn a hundred percent attention to. So in going back and rewatching it, you're like, well, it very well could be real. Cause it's not cinematic. So it's yeah. like, fuck it. Yeah. He's just, it's been over a desk just railing. At one point in the film, Derek has blood running down his face, and it clearly reads ID, which is uh, a subtle but not so subtle reference to the ID7 virus. I I thought that was that was nice, but it's not so blatant that like if you're not paying attention, you probably wouldn't no, notice I'm it. To go back and look for it. Um, but it's definitely there. Uh, Stephen Yun was the first person cast uh, for the film. And Stephen Brand was the last. Ironically, both of them were on The Walking Dead, so they, they bookend the movie. The office building they filmed in only had three floors. Oh, damn. They did a now, really good job. movie magic was used to make it appear much larger. That, that right there 100% goes to the production designer and just the way that they shot the film. But uh, if... If I didn't know that as gospel no, watching the movie, I would have. I would never get a round of applause. Though. I absolutely agree. Emmy a winning Emmy. Emmy a winning Emmy. Emmy award winning composer Brer McCreary, also from The Walking Dead, and uh, he did the AVGN uh, movie and and a hundred other things. Uh, he was originally going to compose the score, but unfortunately, he had to drop out because of commitments. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, I don't know about you, man, but I think, uh, after this long haul of, uh, talking about mayhem, I could use an alcoholic drink to bring a little bit on. I'm parched. So what we're going to do right now is I'm going to give you the opportunity when you rewatch mayhem to play a drinking game with it that will give you 
a 100% buzz beyond a buzz. So let's drink it in, man. Mayhem edition. I want you to take a shot whenever someone mentions ID7. Take a shot whenever you see someone with a red eye. Take a shot whenever someone says Towers and Smythe or Vandercorp. You're, you're yeah, blitzed you're, by this point. I want to sip beer for some of this. Take a shot whenever someone rides the elevator. Take a shot whenever Melanie calls Derek a quote-unquote suit. <laughs> Take a shot whenever Melanie gl- gleefully laughs at an act of violence. At this point, you're like in a coma. You're so drunk. Uh, take a shot whenever a character uses a lawyer lingo. Uh, take a shot whenever a character mentions a key card. Take a shot whenever a character's nickname is spoken, and quite a few of them have them. You know, the Reaper, yeah. the Bull, uh, the Siren, and so on and so forth. Uh, take a shot whenever there is evidence of an on-screen kill, and you're fucking okay. drunk beyond drunk. Because I love anybody actually listening to this podcast. Take a few of these items. Don't go down the whole list unless you're on the level that I, who have t-shirts about my drunkenness... <laughs> Can hang with, you know, if you're a lightweight, be like, okay, every time a nickname and an elevator and then everything else, maybe sip a beer. Yeah, well, we want you that, alive and listening. Better you can watch the movie in like uh, in four chunks rather yes. than like one whole. Or you can die champion. I'm just, <laughs> I don't want that. But if Listen, that's the we way don't, you choose to we go. We don't want you to die, but if you're going to die... Die a champion. Um, However, for the more experienced drinkers out there who would like something a little more exotic, uh, we're going to offer you up the ingredients and methods to make a mayhem-inspired cocktail. So what you're going to need, you're going to need three ounces of vodka, one can of energy drink of your choice, and red fruit punch. Quite simple. So directions, you're going to take a highball glass, fill it up with ice cubes. You're going to pour three ounces of vodka and a half bottle of energy drink into the shaker. You're going to shake this vigorously. Shake it like a Polaroid picture. Uh, pour the contents into a highball glass at the top, and then you're going to splash it with a, with a with the red fruit punch. Uh, if mixed correctly, it should look like blood slowly draining to the bottom of the glass, like the ID7 virus spreading in its host. As always, and I cannot stress this enough, please drink responsibly and never drink and drive. Enjoy Rant Army. If you must, drink and play Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Now, that'll get you drinking and driving, but it's legal. Yeah. See, and you there you go. hookers, and it's all good. Yeah. As I do when I when I drink and drive, I always make sure to run over a hooker. I don't drink and drive, people. In the people. video game, and wink, it, wink. <laughs> all right. We got a few fan questions before we uh, call this uh, for another month. I've been a really big fan of Joey Lynch's work. I think he meant Joe Lynch, but I guess you may be endearing my claim, Joey. Joey. Maybe he knows him. Uh, work as a director, and I'm curious what movie you uh, what what movie you would be in favor of him remaking. I'm specifically asking this question because I know Brandon hates remakes. This comes from Daniel Hunter. What what are you? Oh, that's that's a good question. If we're going like a remake of maybe a not so classic, but still kind of, I want to see him do Tourist Trap. I oh think he shit! Do Tourist Trap really well. Wow. 
I I actually just got the uncut uh, edition of Blu-ray from our good friends at Full Moon of Tourist Trap. And man, fucking Chuck Connors. And uh, oh shit, uh, what's her name? Uh, She just just passed away. Uh, The mom from that 70s show. uh, She was also a Bond girl. Yeah, and a Bond girl. I can't remember her name. I can't think of her. I can't think of her name as well, but man... Holy fuck, her in a halter top when she's like 19 years mm-hmm. old. God damn. I do have to say, speaking of remakes, in the in the news, there's a new Evil Dead movie coming out. Evil Dead Rising. Are you going to wait a decade to watch this one? It's got a subtitle. I'm fine with seeing it. Okay. I, that's, I, I, I gave you a little shit. I posted on Facebook giving you a little shit. But then I thought, well, it's not called Evil Dead. He might actually watch it. That's all you got to do. Throw a fucking subtitle on it and I'll give it a chance. I brought a marker over here and wrote it on the fucking case for you. <laughs> anyway. You weren't a, involved with the movie. That's a good question. I think Joe Lynch would do a really good job with right. something like Tourist Track. Hear me out. This, this is my this is my uh, my suggestion. Joe Lynch remakes Monster Squad with the condition oh. with the condition that it's produced exclusively through Universal and the monsters are faithful recreations of the classics as in Lugosi's Dracula um hear me no, out I'm, hear I'm me out gonna... I think his comedic and heartfelt tone could really make this movie work but the only reason if you're going to remake Monster Squad is to make it the Universal Monsters. That's, that's the, true. That's the okay. only reason that this movie should exist. That's why I had to look at my face. Like, I could see him just doing an okay, like a pretty good remake, but you're right, there's no reason for a remake of Monster Squad unless you have the Universal faithful. Oh, so and, I agree. And, and I, I agree. And I, I think the monsters, I think the world should be in black and white and the monsters should be I mean, sorry, the, the world should be color and the monsters should be black and white, but the longer they're in our reality, they the start, they start adds. turning to color. I love black and white shit, man. I do too. I, I, I just don't like it needlessly. <laughs> that has a given to it. I like it. All right. This, uh, this question comes from Brad Allen. What is your favorite alcoholic beverage while you watch a movie? I'm a cheap vodka guy, 100 proof. Now, today, this is a late celebration of Brandon's birthday. I decided we're going to drink like adults today, and I brought over a bottle of Jack Daniels. Yeah, very much appreciated. Um, Jack Daniels is always going to be at the top of my list, but as far as like just alcohol, alcoholic beverages um, while I'm watching a movie... Uh, it just depends on the time of year. Like if it's uh, if it's during the summer and I want something to cool me off, just a just a like rolling rock, just rolling yeah, a beer, beer or something like that. Sometimes it depends. Yeah. So, uh, but Jack Daniels is always going to be number one. However, as far as, like we we're always drinking bottom of the shelf vodka, but I got to give a shout out. Uh, what was that vodka you found? That's, uh, that's- Taaka. Yeah, that shit is pretty pretty it's damn cheap, good. Cheap, hundred proof vodka that is actually fairly smooth. All hey right. Taaka, you looking to get a sponsor <laughs> oh, or something? Please, please, we will hawk your vodka. We'll do it for free if you send us a bottle. Yeah. Um, all right. This final question comes from Pitch Me a Mayhem sequel. It comes from Andrew Fox. You got you got an okay, idea? Okay, if I want to pitch a mayhem sequel and and have a serious answer to this, revenge killing. Somebody stalking him out of revenge. Either the siren, somebody from the siren. Or the boss's daughter. That is the only way I could see. And they're stuck. Like he wait. They wait till the situation. Like 
oh, him and the chick are going to a movie and they lock down the place and they're like, I'm coming for you, motherfucker. Some other place where other people have an incentive to kill him to make this situation end. But again, I don't really think it needs a sequel. I'm going to agree with you that it doesn't need a sequel. So when I got this question, and thank you, Andrew. We really pro- appreciate you. that. Uh, I wonder if he's related to, to Brent, by the way, because his last name's Fox. I'm not 100% the sure. The only people I know related to Brent don't have his last name on Okay, Fox. well, maybe he's not. Uh, but when I thought about this, I, I mean, I had to sort of, like, expand my mind to, like, to come up with something. But this is what I came up with. If you have to do a sequel to Mayhem... I think I have the perfect framework for one. So maybe once you've been exposed to the virus, it stays in your system dormant, but it can be transmitted to your children. So hear me out. You have Derek and Melanie's kid. This would take place several years later. And the kid's getting beat up during recess by a bully and it activates in him. So it spreads to all the children. So your your framework is uh, is a schoolyard, schoolhouse kind of thing. From there, it could be a school lockdown kind of situation with uh, ravenous kids going for the jugular. And my title is what makes this movie Mini Mayhem. I like that, but it have to be set in high school or college because they also get the good fun with already. You have to have people fucking. And you don't want to see middle schoolers or anything. <laughs> you do a case. Actually, there'd be a good joke <laughs> with a bunch of the little boys in the run into the bathroom to jerk off. Oh my that God. would be hilarious. You could do it maybe like a K, really- a K through 12 kind of thing. Like and, and Those do exist. They do. Could- I went to one in church school. Yeah, so there you go. All right. I think that's going to wrap us up uh, from this, and we'll be back later this month for something a little different. Yeah. To hopefully lessen the blow uh, all of you out there in the Rant Army are having to resubscribe to our new RSS feed going forward. The Rants from the Black Lodge podcast will no longer be monthly. We're going bi-weekly. The first of every month, we're going to bring you an in-depth, well-researched retrospective like the one you just listened to. And then on the 15th, well, we're going to sit back. We're going to have some adult beverages, and we're going to watch along with a film to be chosen at random for a new series we're calling Rants After Dark. Getting sexy with it. So I've uh, submitted five films, and Fat Tony has submitted five films, and... Now we're going to use the app to decide what our first film is. So I've got it queued up, and I'm going to spin it. All right, and our first film is going to be... Oh, man. This is a good one to start out on. Hard Rock Zombies. Oh, my God. We have Hitler, we have underage sex, and we have hard rock zombies. <laughs> Save it for the podcast. Oh, man. Uh, uh, we're, we're very excited to bring this uh, to you. We're hoping this will lessen the blow for having to resubscribe, but we're very, very thankful that you have. The Rants from the Black Lodge podcast can be found on a multitude of platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, and, and a few others. And as time goes on, you know, we'll be available in more and more places so please if you can't find us on your preferred platform of choice check us out 
at JuicyKruger.com. You can find us on social media at Rants Black Lodge. And for the love of Cthulhu, god damn it, go buy a fucking t-shirt or a mug from our... I'm wearing my Fat Tony's diamond-studded fuckhammer shirt right now. Available at RantArmy.com. For Fat Tony, this is Brandon A. Lane signing off. Till next month, Rant Army, or should I say later this month, keep marching.